Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Sam Richardson is an actor. His breakthrough role came in Veep, the HBO show starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus, where everyone is terrible and mean and incompetent and they all hate each other. Everyone, except for Sam's character, the cheerful, incorruptible Richard Splett. Is there a way to change Doyle's music without screwing up the lights? Oh, absolutely. Great. Well, I'm not sure, but positivity is the first step. Love it. Change to what? Doesn't I matter. honestly have no idea. What do you have on your phone? Well, it's mostly self-help audiobooks and relaxation tapes. I'm quite an anxious man. Sam is also a writer. Richardson, along with Tim Robinson, co-created and starred in Detroiters, a favorite of mine about two buddies working for an advertising agency in Detroit. Richardson has also appeared in I Think You Should Leave, Tim Robinson's absolutely spectacular sketch comedy show on Netflix. And I think you could say that by this point, Sam Richardson has a brand. He plays cheerful, friendly characters who are usually so nice they end up getting in their own way. That is probably in part because Sam Richardson is an extremely cheerful, friendly guy in real life. Little by little, though, Sam is working on expanding that brand. Recently, he starred alongside Chris Pratt in The Tomorrow War, a science fiction time travel action movie, and he has a lead role in Werewolves Within, which is available to rent or buy online now. Werewolves Within is a horror comedy. It's set in a small New England town where all the people are trapped in a snowstorm. And enough scary stuff has happened that people are beginning to think that maybe, just maybe, a werewolf is lurking somewhere out there. My guest Sam Richardson plays Finn Wheeler in the film, a ranger who just arrived for a new stint at the nearby National Park. As the bodies begin to pile up, residents of the town begin to turn on each other. After all, if there is a werewolf in town, it could literally be any of them. In this clip, Finn makes a last-ditch attempt to keep everyone together with, well, with an inspiring speech. I know it's easy to point the finger and fear each other. At its heart, this is a community, you know? One that agrees about more than it doesn't. You know, hard work. Be a good neighbor. Warm place to meet, have a sandwich. Love. All I'm asking is that we remember our common our common humanity. And we just hold off on being enemies till we've all had a little sleep. that noise. I saw what happened to Pete and I saw what happened to Dave and I'm not gonna stick around and let that happen to me and Marcus. Let's go, Marcus. Hell yeah. Sam Richardson, welcome to Bullseye. I'm happy to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. How do you feel about werewolves in general? Uh, you know, a, a, a healthy fear. Um, just like standard. Just like standard, <laughs> like what the typical amount of fear should be. Uh-huh. Um, but not not more than I think is normal. Like, like there's, there's no phobia 
you know, of, of werewolves, just respect and uh, appreciation for them. How do you feel about scary things in general? Scary things in general, you know, I'm not uh, not typically just like a scary person, you know, like or as in like a person who is scared. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Certainly, you're known for being fearsome. I mean, that's my main thing yeah, in real terrifying. life. Terrifying. <laughs> I'm just like you're a, a real <laughs> tiny Lister type. Exactly. It's the one I kind of looks on to who knows where. Uh, I, uh, I I have a, I'll just come right, right out there. I'm, I have like a, a true arachnophobia, though. So like a, like a, like a true like um, irrational fear of spiders. So that that's the one thing. Everything else, I'm like, yeah, sure. Does it interfere with your life? Well, I, I'll never go to Australia. <laughs> Wait, is that a, is that a it's spider like a, place? It's like a spider place. Like <laughs> huge spiders. You always see like videos and things like, look at that spider. Ah, it's normal. I'm like, no, then not for me then. Or like Brazil. <laughs> How do you feel about scary media? Like I, I saw The Shining in uh, high school English class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and even in forty-minute chunks during the day, yeah. while people threw spitballs, I was too upset. To... Yeah, I, I, I t- I'll tell you what, I've, I'm not scary. Movies don't scare me. Um, however, uh, again, like spiders in movies, I won't. Wa- I can't watch it. So, like you talking about like Harry Potter, I, uh, I'll close my eyes at the. Uh, you know when uh, I can't even think of the name of the the spider in the forest. I I close my eyes on it. If I go on the Harry Potter ride in Universal Studios, I shut my eye. I can't do it. You know, Lord of the Rings, Shelob's Lair. I I don't know what that part of the movie looks like, like fully. I can't. I cannot do it. There's a pretty wild part in King Kong, the Peter Jackson King Kong. With all these giant spiders, have you seen yep. that movie? I've, I've seen, I've seen the, all, all the parts around it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. And like, if I think about spiders too much, then I, I like close. If I think about spiders before I go to bed, I. Uh, if I I can't like not see them in my head, so I'll, I can't shut my eyes, and I'll, I'll be like, "Oop, nope." Now I'm thinking now now my my image in my head is more vivid than like, an actual spider. So like I've got to like then keep myself up for a little bit and try and like distract myself because I'm like, "Huh, spiders, huh?" Oops, okay. Now we're on the okay. Oh, well, don't think about their eyes. Their eyes. I'm thinking about their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like that goes on for <laughs> forty five minutes at least. <laughs> this morning my son came up to me as I was pouring breakfast cereal for myself. Yeah. And he said, "Dad, did you know that scorpions have more eyes than spiders?" Didn't want to know that. I was like, "Wow. <laughs> well, good morning." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a cup of joe for you. I don't have a fear of scorpions, truly. But however, I've never like encountered a scorpion like in like the wild. So I wonder how I would re- react to it. I have no fear of of snakes, uh, you know, a, a healthy respect of werewolves, but not a but and also a healthy re- respect of wolves in general. But mm-hmm. I do like them. But like a spider, it's just like an irrational thing. When I was a kid, I was uh, I, I grew up between Detroit and Ghana, and when I was in Ghana, we, me, my cousin and I watched. Uh, arachnophobia my cousin julian we were watching the movie arachnophobia and we were in my aunt's house uh in accra and 
we're watching uh, Arachnophobia, and it comes to part where the giant spider goes like reels up, and, ah, and my cousin goes yeah, like right next to me, and I screamed, and I ran uh, around the corner, and so like, the way the house was set up, it was there was like this living room, and then there was like a, a like hallway that led to the kitchen. Uh, with windows on it, and outside the windows was uh, like a patio area with fl- fluorescent lighting, uh, and so like I was running down that hallway, and I'm running, and I'm like I get down halfway through the hallway, and I like stop, and I'm like breathing, I'm like whew, okay, okay, and then I see on the wall across from me, uh, like the bat symbol, just like this image of like these legs and these arms, and I look to my right, and there's like a spider maybe six inches from my face. And I like fainted essentially, <laughs> and from now on, that's like a true trauma. I can't, I can't handle them, <laughs> which I'm going to overcome one day. Today, today's the day. There we go. <laughs> I'm done with it. I mean, I think we heard in that scene from Werewolves Within uh, something that you are called upon to do a lot on screen, which is to be a charismatic good guy who nonetheless can't quite get over the hump. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a leader of man who is a little bit failing at leading men. Yes. <laughs> That's like the, the entire flock doesn't ex- entirely listen, you know. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like in a horror movie, even in a horror comedy, it's nice to have the black guy be the doofy one. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like this instead of like the fast talking guy who gets killed quickly. Yep. You know, it's uh it's it's nice to have uh the black guy <laughs> uh be the the sort of like emotional and inspirational quote unquote like like leader. Uh, for this thing and like to make it far in who know who knows how far if you haven't seen the movie but you know to to sort of be that instead of instead of a uh, garnish you know uh to get to kind of like be the meat of this thing and and not only be the purpose of being oh my god i'm so scared the whole time you know being like oh okay well what's the situation i really appreciate it to get to do that and like that in the script as well I was and am a huge fan of the show that you and Tim Robinson created, Detroiters. Oh, yes. And one of the things that I don't think I realized until six or eight episodes into the show um, that was unexpected to me was this is a show about two best friends, right? So the two Mm -hmm. of you are are essentially the co-leads of the program. But in terms of the structure of the world of the show, uh, he, Tim, is the best friend. (laughs) He lives in your character's world, and Tim Robinson is white. Yes. And I thought, well, gosh, how many thousands of times have I seen a television sitcom with a black guy who's best friends to a white guy and lives in the white guy's world? Mm -hmm. And how close to zero times have I seen the opposite? Right. Um, was that a choice that the two of you made? Uh, it was. It was like to make to make it true to life. Whereas, like Detroit is seventy five percent black, you know. So with with casting and with that world and all that, we're like, well, this show is going to be black, primarily black show with characters who are also not, you know. And so so like like the show being uh, a black show with Tim in it, you know. Um, that we very purposefully like so at the workplace it's tim's 
you know, Legacy and Tim's job. But then outside of there, it's kind of like Sam's world, you, you know. Uh, so it's it's a very purposeful relationship. Like like to have Tim's wife be my sister, and so that Tim's family is my family, you know. So Tim is my best friend and and my uh, brother in law. Yeah, but in the fam in the family unit of the, du- the duvets, which is, is the the bigger family, and you you get the Cramlins as well. But like you know, typically the family things are happening among the duvets and like the world, like you're trying to get the, the clients to be black, all these things because that's what Detroit is, you know. So that was a very purposeful sort of uh, composition. Because of that composition, there's also something that you don't see a lot in television in terms of race dynamics, which is that Tim Robinson's character has a black wife, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, if you watch television commercials in America, <laughs> there's a lot of interracial couples and almost none of them have, uh, you know, in heterosexual couples have a wife who is darker skinned than the husband. Yep. Um, that is something that you essentially never see. Yep. Um, and I, I just, I was like, isn't that nice? (laughs) They're a loving couple that has normal couple things going on. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was was like, I mean, again, part of that composition was like, well, what, like if Tim grew up in my world, again, in my world, you know, best friends and he probably just mostly dated black girls, you know, and he mostly like existed in that world. So like him falling and also in the thing is like we spent so much time together that like that that we I mean we never have explored this because we only did the two seasons, but like kind of like how the dynamic of them started, like where it came from. For a while we were, we we never landed on whether Chrissy and I were twins or not because we never like but I was always kind of like a little idea and so the idea of him marrying her was like the closest thing to marrying me that he could do uh, because we're like such a special like maybe we can hang out together all the time and like (laughs) and like there's a photo of of the, like the, the wedding photo. I don't know if it ever showed up on screen, but it's like their wedding photos and I'm in them too, like kind of doing <laughs> jokes. And like, she's like annoyed because like in marrying, like, like he married the both of us essentially. We've got even more with Sam Richardson still to come. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for Bullseye and the following message come from Culturel. Culturel wants you to know that an estimated 45 million Americans may have IBS, according to the International Foundation for Gastrointestinal Disorders. Culturel IBS Complete Support is a medical food for the dietary management of IBS. It's designed to relieve symptoms like abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, and constipation in a safe, well-tolerated, once-daily dose. Save 20% with promo code RADIO on culturel.com. Comedian Tiffany Haddish is busy. She's acting, producing, but she says she's not just doing it for herself. How much generational wealth are you creating when you get to tell a story and give other people opportunity to tell that story with you? Tiffany Haddish on her power in Hollywood. Listen now to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Sam Richardson. He's the star of Detroiters Veep and the new movie Werewolves Within. Let's get back into our conversation. 
there's a great scene from the show that uh, I'm going to play. And, and Detroiters uh, ran for two seasons on Comedy Central a couple of years ago and was co-created uh, by my guest Sam Richardson and his real-life pal Tim Robinson. Um, and they play best buddies on the show. And uh, they're also business partners in the advertising business, which they're pretty bad at. And uh, they're neighbors. And uh, Tim's character is married to Sam's character's uh, sister. So they're, they're very close-knit. And so in this scene, the two of them are hanging out at a bar. And Tim is trying to figure out why Sam has such a hard time meeting women. When are you going to settle down, man? Can you help us settle a bet? Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. We're talking. Move it along. Thanks. Seriously, man, when are you going to settle down? It's amazing. Yeah, Tim, I do want to meet somebody. Then what is stopping you? Hey, I like your shirt. That color looks great on you. Oh, oh so you just interrupt people? Is that your whole gig? You interrupt folks? <laughs> we don't know who you are. <laughs> Later, dude. <laughs> Seriously, why are you not settling down? Because of you, Tim. It's impossible to meet girls around you. Okay, that's insane. Oh yeah, sure. Okay, I'm insane, man. Suit yourself, man. Giving you advice. <laughs> the, the tag to that that I think got edited out. Oh yeah, is him saying maybe he's right. And he goes, maybe he is insane. <laughs> maybe I'm a figment of his imagination. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so that, that that scene and that like sort of notion and like even that storyline comes from real life because Tim and I were you know performing at Second City together. We were on the main stage together in Chicago, and we would spend all the time together. You know, because we were best friends before. Then got hired to the main stage together. Uh, we, we we got moved to Chicago essentially at the same time. Got hired to the main stage to, to write two shows together, and we would spend all our time together. We did eight shows a week, six days a week. Tuesday through Sunday, and then Mondays we would hang out, you know, and go to the bar, go or watch TV or whatever. Uh, and Tim, though, would be the worst wingman possible. Like, we would go, so we would do a show at Second City, then go across the street to Corcoran's and, like, be eating. <laughs> we would get what we, what we called a, uh, a turf and turf, which is where we would get wings and a burger, and we'd cut the burger in half and then split the wings. <laughs> we go like turf and turf, yeah, turf and turf. Anyway, but we so we after that's the show, ve- that's very cute. Isn't so. that cute? Yeah, it's isn't adorable. Cute? It's cute. genuinely adorable. We're very cute. We love each other very much. <laughs> but we would do the show and then go across the street. And I, I was single. You know, Tim has been married to his his high school sweetheart. Tim Tim has has essentially you know his whole adult adult life been married. You know, um, but we would go across the street and then like people would come up and like kind of like flirt you know and i'm like single so i'm like oh perfect i just did this show I, i'm on cloud nine and like got all I'm, these wings you know got all these, <laughs> these wings and winks and and <laughs> and like so they'd we start talking and then tim would lit- literally be like excuse me uh thank you <laughs> we're in the middle of something he would do that and he'd be so annoyed and then i get so mad he's like sorry but i just want to spend time with you i'm like yes of course we spend so much time together let me <laughs> have this moment. I mean, in Detroiters, I think you have a really clear reason to make the choice that 
these guys are going to be, you know, to borrow the cherry tomato brand, Lil Sweetums, <laughs> um, which is that, like, you want to do all this crazy stuff because I can tell the two of you just sit around all day making a list of crazy stuff you thought of mm-hmm. for a guy to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What if a guy did this? <laughs> what if a guy did, did that? <laughs> um, but, like, beyond beyond that, so you, you need to make room for that. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, like, you have named this show after your home. Mm-hmm. It is a home that is only represented in one way in mass media, essentially, which is as a symbol of either crime or decrepitude. Yep. Or, you know, maybe the, like, flip side of that, which is like a a parody of, you know, blue-collar resilience. Right. Something, something, something. Like, mm-hmm. picture of a metal grinder with yeah, sparks exactly. coming off of it <laughs> exactly. and a guy lifting up his uh, his welder's mask <laughs> and like he's got like he's handsome he's got a lined face <laughs> yep um, built for tough so like ultimately yeah so ultimately <laughs> like you are you're representing your home mm-hmm. which is a big responsibility and if you made everybody in the show a jerk it would <laughs> it would be hard to represent your home in a way that you could be proud of yes exactly that uh, it, was, it was such such an important thing to us to shine a different light on Detroit than is commonly like, like with the idea of like Detroit being the easy joke for everyone. It makes us so mad. It makes me so mad. <laughs> the idea is like, yeah, Detroit, like like oh Detroit, like RoboCop. Like you're just thinking of RoboCop automatically, or just like uh, an easy A to B punchline is like, what's dangerous? Uh, not more dangerous than Detroit. And then you're you're there and you get your little laugh and all that. <laughs> but like. There, it's so disrespectful to this place where there are people who are genuinely. It's mid. It's a midwestern city, so everybody is kind and everybody is, you know, is doing their best and everybody is supporting the way they live. That the fact that outside of it, everybody's like ha ha ha, and then we're like, whoa, you know how strong we are here. Like, I, we wanted to show that to a degree, uh, or not even to a degree. We wanted to show that. Uh, and give that the respect and the love that it deserves. And I think we achieved that. And I, I think at first, I don't know if the show, I don't think the show was very well advertised and like well set. Um, people were, uh, people from Detroit were a little fearful of it. They were like, oh, what's this? This, is, this isn't Detroit. This isn't Detroit. I'm like, well, it is. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not an outsider. I'm, I've lived there my entire life. Well, up until I, I, I left. <laughs> but uh, that's... I think as the show went on and people like kind of saw what we were doing, they got on board. Um, I remember, and I, and I was I was happy that, that it was like well received by Detroit, by Detroiters themselves. After the show premiered, we Tim and I went to to Detroit to like do a screening, and I remember the the very first person off the airplane, like the guy who like with the wheelchair like, on the tarmac, was like, "Hey, Detroiters!" and I was like, "Wow." That's like the very first person stepping back into Detroit was somebody who like loved and respected that show. And if we walk down the streets of Detroit together, people will stop and they'll honk and they'll be like, yay. And like, that's the warmest, best feeling. You know, we always, people would get so annoyed with us when we were like in Chicago because they would, they would always like, yeah, we get it. Sam, Tim, you're from Detroit. Yes, we know. We always like, back in Detroit, we do this and back in Detroit because we love it so much. Anybody from Detroit will always rep Detroit as hard as they can. And that's not 
a false thing. It's because we love where we come from so much. You know, and that's universal. It's a very beautiful place. I mean, I've only been one time, so I can't speak to it from a really informed perspective. But that was something that struck me in the time that I was there. I was like, wow, what a beautiful city. You know, like, you know, it's similar to when you're in Chicago and you're like, God, there's a lot of beautiful buildings around me. It was the Mm -hmm. very same feeling in Detroit. Like, what a beautiful place. Yeah, really, really it is. And like, you know, the... The ruined porn that, uh, uh, you know, is, is books are sold on and like all these things. or he, I, I get it because you are looking at something beautiful and like even like something amazing once that, that was once magnificent and majestic is now dilapidated. But in that dilapidation, there is still like this beauty and like the, the negative space of what was there and what is there currently is beautiful in itself. But uh, sort of like. I, I I appreciate that, but you have to counter it with like what is alive there as well. If you only show these things that are like decrepit, then people think it's a zombie a zombie town, you know. But like you have to show what is still there and what is new there, you know, along with what was there and what is old there. I want to play a, an I think you should leave sketch that uh, is is really uh, is really a Sam Richardson sketch. <laughs> yeah. This is one where. You're really front and center. You're really carrying the burden on this. Uh, it's called Baby of the Year, <laughs> and I mean it's a it's a sort of beauty contest. Although not, I mean in the same way that beauty contests aren't just about beauty. Right. You know, it's like a it's a pageant for babies. <laughs> for babies, just like the general baby. Yeah. Yeah. And my guest Sam Richardson is the is the host. Look at their rummy bummy tummies. Heads around, bellies are squishy. Look at those lasso men, girl, and shrimp. Are they ticklish? Are they jigglish? Can they be tricked? Can they be chucked? Which ones will move? Which ones will talk? But more important, which ones can dance? Oh, who will be? <laughs> this sketch, like many, I think you should leave sketches, just has a long series of premises. Yes, one exactly. premise. so many twists and turns <laughs> and like hard banks. <laughs> like it really, it really starts with it really starts with what we just heard, which is, um, what if in like there's there's kid pageants, there's toddler pageants. <laughs> Why not baby pageants, that's baby right? Pageants. That's just a pretty straightforward sketch premise that <laughs> could be on almost any sketch show. Yep. Um, and it just, it, like, there's no moment that is not more insane than the last. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because it goes from there into, like, the devolution. It, it devolves quickly in the, the idea of, like, oh, well, all right, there's three babies, but the one baby is hated by the audience. <laughs> Like, like for what? Like, why? What did this baby do? Like, the, the, the bad boy baby, the bad boy baby, and the audience is not having it. They wearing hate a him. leather jacket. He's wearing a leather jacket and a little bandana. <laughs> Bart Harley Jarvis, is <laughs> the bad boy of the competition. You know, <laughs> <And then laughs> it like kind of just goes so many places. Ah, <laughs> oh. well, I mean, there is a pleasure in like I can't believe how 
crazy this thing is that <laughs> is kind of like um you know it's it's what people imagine of the kind of like adult swim humor of 20 years ago 15 <laughs> 20 years ago right and it can be really great um one of the things that always surprises me and it was true of detroiters it's true of i think you should leave is the commitment to grounding this insane nonsense in human emotion. Uh, yes, exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. And I mean, I think that's like the key to comedy. Period. You know, is like whatever, whatever, or the key, the key, the key to like bold, big sketch comedy is like whatever's going on. As long as somebody like legitimately cares about it in the thing, then you can get away with so much. You know, uh, and it 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 grounds even the most out there premise, as long as somebody is like, has emotional invest, has an emotional investment in it, you know? So that's true for that sketch. Like the people like, and there's, there's so many different emotions in that. Like, because the people aren't just like screaming out, they legitimately hate that baby. This guy legitimately (laughs) is like, annoyed with how the, the thing is going. Like he legitimately is angry at them for like screaming and ruining the competition. <laughs> and then, like, even at the end, like, j- dump it. This one's garbage. J- dump it. Like, he's given up on this thing. <laughs> Your mother is Ghanaian, as yes. you mentioned. And you spent a fair bit of your childhood in Ghana just, you know, going there, whatever, summers or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, you know, what kind of relatives did you have in Ghana who didn't spend much time in the United States? Um, most of my cousins were were between Ghana and London. Uh, I was the American one up until older. My cousin Lauren then came to the States to go to college. And then my cousin William came. He, he like started working in finance. But Apart from that, I'm, I'm the I'm the American one among my Ghanaian and English cousins. You know, uh, what did they think that meant? What did, what did they think that? Uh, and, and also uh, because like America was like very cool. You know, it's, it's very cool, and like also you could. My cousins would come. To, sometimes they'd come to visit the states, and the whole idea was like go shopping. You can get your sh- cool sneakers. You can get all these things. You can get. Stuff because like it, the the tax and like the import and all the stuff it doesn't make sense to like buy it in in England or you certainly just can't buy it in Ghana so you'd come to America and like you just just get stuff to take back with you so it was like sort of like a, an amusement park kind of thing you know come to come to America and like all the stuff is on TV and like all the you know go to the mall and like all these activities there's like so much going on even in, in Detroit you know like a Bill and Ted type situation you know truly <laughs> all the figures from history <laughs> are playing the demonstration organ in the mall exactly uh station is uh you know <laughs> but yeah i i i think sort of i think among us we were all Ghanaian you know and so being the American Ghanaian just meant that I probably I was spending less time with everybody than everybody else was, you know. But it was still, you know, we we still had like our there we were Ghanaians with a, with a little extra something, you know. If that makes sense. We'll finish up with Sam Richardson after a quick break. He is, as we said, a nice guy. Gets a lot of roles where he plays nice guys, and when we come back, Sam will tell us how he plans to break that mold. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, with no limit on how much you can earn. It's amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So, when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash match. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. From the internationally acclaimed creators of Who Shot Ya comes the movie podcast Maximum Film. Starring producer and film festival programmer Drea Clark as a woman bound by passion. I saw this eight months ago on the festival circuit. And I loved it. Film critic Alonzo Duralde as a man corrupted by greed. Why watch one Hallmark Christmas movie when I can watch seven? And comedian Ifiwadiwe as a man protecting a love that society simply won't accept. I think Pacific Rim is a perfect movie. And if you can't accept that, then I want you out of my life. From the makers of the movie podcast, Who Shot Ya? comes Maximum Film. That's right. We changed the name of our show to Maximum Film. But don't worry. We're still a movie review show that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. So tune into Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the great Sam Richardson. He played Richard Splett in the HBO show Veep, and he created and starred in the fantastic Comedy Central sitcom Detroiters. Sam is also the star of the new action movie The Tomorrow War, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime, and you can see him playing the lead in the horror comedy Werewolves Within, which you can buy or rent now. Let's get back into our conversation. Did you have a different class position in the States and in Ghana and in London if you were visiting family there? Yes. Uh, in the States, yeah. Uh, my, fa- my family was like in, in, into politics. My auntie is a, a congresswoman, you know, we were involved in, in politics and, and all that sort of s- stuff. Uh, and like, you know, like, like middle class you know, African-American family in Detroit and in Detroit being like a pro- predominantly a black city. You know, that's good. But in Ghana, my grandfather was a chief uh, and like a businessman. So like we were upper class in Ghana. So, you know, drivers and, you know, cooks and all that sort of all that sort of thing where like the, the, the dichotomy of wealth also like lends itself to that where like you have the haves and you have the have nots. And so like it's the haves. If you don't have uh, a cook and a driver, then you're being irresponsible because like you have to employ people. You know that sort of thing. Now, now there's a, a full middle class in, in Ghana. The, the, I think the advent of like technology in ma- becoming uh, exponentially more available and useful and cheap kind of like allowed that to happen. Um, but it was an interesting thing to go from being at the top of the mountain to being in even even in Detroit, even among all the black people. You know, you're still. <laughs> you, 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 uh, you're still second class, you, you know, that makes sense. I mean, of course it makes sense because it's what it is, but, uh, you can certainly see it. And like, you come back to the States and like, you, even if all you see are black people around you, if you turn on the TV, you don't, you know? And, and so like, that's the culture there, um, and, and here, but versus Ghana, I was like, oh, everybody's black and all the, the president's black here. The, you know, the, par- the parliament's all black here. 
uh, y- you know, like every the king of the the, the chief of Impraisu is black, the chief of Atibia is black, the chief of you know the the Omaheni is black. They're all African, you know, everything. But then you still have uh, these interests from other nations, and colonialism still has its its grips there. So like a lot of the wealth is still diverted to white nations and to white people. Like, like I remember a, kid, a friend of mine growing up uh, at school, his name was Alex and his dad worked in the gold mines. And I was like, he's from Canada. And I was like, why, why, like, why do, why do you have access to our gold mines? I, it never made sense to me. You know, like this resource, surely this is our resource that we mine it and then we sell it. Why, why is that not the case? But I, even still, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's uh, befuddling to me. But that sort of thing, like, you know, like age old uh, lines cut in, in, in drawn, like literally lines drawn in the earth to say that this is what Ghana is and this is what Africa is. And we've accepted that. And that's like what our world is. Even in this place, we're like, oh, well, in America, you know, it, it's it's at the second, it, it's at the behest or at, 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 the, at the sort of whatever the service of white people is. In Africa, it's that way as well because... That's global. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did other kids at school uh, in Detroit where you grew up know you were or think of you as Ghanaian? Um, not really. Uh, I've always been pretty Americanized, but I was, but I, I was like, I was like the African prince. That's what like, it would say. But like, because I went to such a small school, that kind of like fades pretty quick. Cause like, you know, where there's like 15 kids in my uh, graduating class from middle school. I went to a friend's school. So it was like the same kids from first grade to eighth grade, you know? So like the idea of like, of me being African, there was, <laughs> there was one kid who was new. I, I had just moved back from Ghana maybe two years previous and I'd, uh, and she was new to the class and I convinced her that I was British and she believed it, and everybody was like, "Yeah, let's play this game." And so it's cruel, truly cruel. Everyone was <laughs> and, on board for this. Yeah, yeah. All thirteen other. Because, like, cause like, cause like, what about staff? Staff, I don't know. I, I, I they, they, and um, and also the idea was that <laughs> you know the Quakers are known for cruelty. <laughs> they love cruelty. They love they love to get one up on each other. Have <laughs> you but, seen the prank wars <laughs> in Quaker communities? <laughs> Have a meeting. Yeah. You know, that, that silence where everyone is contemplating <laughs> exactly. whether they the should speak. Meeting. They're actually just letting cockroaches, cockroaches <laughs> loose up people's trouser legs. That's right. And into people's ears. It's it's a funny Quaker prank. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I think – but also the game there was when I was using my American accent, that was me trying to f- fit in. And so then when I was talking to her and everybody's like, wow. You know, like like she was like the only one who really knew – <laughs> that I was British, maybe a couple other people. Is this a story you've ever told your therapist about? No, no. Okay, I would. I don't know if you have a therapist, but <laughs> it's possible it might have some symbolic meaning. <laughs> <laughs> probably, it probably does. I, I have a I have a good buddy from back home where I'm from in San Francisco, yeah. who is now an Emmy winning television host. He's a stand up comic for a long time, still is a stand up comic, and um, because he is. A huge guy has an afro and wears glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, he fell into show business's best friend category immediately mm-hmm. and very hard. 
and had to try and figure out what to do about the fact that he's also very genial. Mm-hmm. Um, white people like him because he seems like a nice guy. He right. is a nice guy. That's yeah. why. Yeah. But um, white people like him because he seems like a nice guy. And um, it took him a long time to find his own career and voice because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you are a guy who comes over on screen and in real life is a notably nice guy, which means that if you want to have, and you're also very good at, you know, you're a skilled performer. So if you want to have a career being a nice friend on every television show and in every movie ever made, <laughs> you'll, you know, you'll own a home here in Los Angeles and, <laughs> and have health insurance for a long time. <laughs> are there things that you want to do or wish you could do that are difficult to access from that place of, of people immediately seeing you as a nice friend? Yes, but I think I'm I'm actively working to sort of uh, widen that breath. Uh, I, I'm not offered characters who have backbone a lot of times. It's always like a person who's like tripping up over himself. And, you know, because c- I think I am good at imbuing like a kindness and a sort of likability to a character who is be like a sad sack otherwise, you know, like a sad sack weak guy. Uh, I think I'm I'm good at, and people I think look to me to try and find a way to like make that person likable and charming and, and those, those things. But there, there's very rarely do, do, do characters I play like straighten their back and like, Hey, get the, get the hell out of here. Like what are you talking about? Which is something I do myself, you know, like I'm nice up until I'm disrespected. And then, I'll, you know what I mean? I I can <laughs> turn on a dime and become very sinister. Um, <laughs> uh, but like that sort of character who doesn't need to have the, the other shoe drop when the, when the person does stand up for themselves. It's not, it's, it, it doesn't need to be, the, the rug doesn't need to be yanked out of, from under him once he like has like a bold moment. I think it's something that I'm looking to do more and, uh, figuring out for myself and when I read things I'm like well even if this character is this like I'm looking for more characters with like guile you know and 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 sort of <laughs> not just like guileful characters guile, guileful characters. characters exactly you know that's 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 something I'm making sure that it doesn't become that People don't think I can do that, you know. You just sent your agent a postcard that says Wiley on it. Wiley, exactly. Wiley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, let me send my another text. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Richardson, thanks for coming on Bullseye. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Sam Richardson, Werewolves Within, his newest movie, is fun and only a little scary. It is also, by the way, one of the best-reviewed video game-based movies of all time. So, take that, Super Mario Brothers. If for some reason you haven't seen everything that Sam has been in, uh, Veep, Detroiters, I think you should leave. Uh, They're all great, so I guess just stay home from work next week and get caught up. That's my tip for you. Sam Richardson's great, and he's in great stuff. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. 
We're working in the office a little bit, overlooking beautiful MacArthur Park in Los Angeles, where our producer Jesus Ambrosio attended his first free Levitt Pavilion concert this summer. They're back. Uh, He saw the local ska group, The Paranoias, because Jesus loves ska. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer is ska enthusiast Jesus Ambrosio. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. No word on whether they enjoy ska. We get help from Casey O'Brien. I don't think he's into ska, but he does like the twins. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. He's more of a soul and hip-hop guy. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it with us. They've got a new record. You should go check it out. You can also keep up with Bullseye on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews there. And I think that's it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.